For thousands of years, Paul's letters have been disputed, misunderstood, misaligned, and sometimes even rejected. His letters have been used to boister all kinds of arguments of men, and oftentimes for those of the corrupt, and has given rise to the 33,000 plus denominations today that's come from men who's used his letters to make an assumption and to make an argument for why they believe what they believe. They've departed from the foundation. The original intent of God has always been for us to follow his very word. And we have come to a place where we have tossed aside his word for something else, for traditions and beliefs of men that have no root in the voice of God. Amongst the most understood of Paul's letters is those that he wrote in accordance to women and ministry. How women are to act in a church, whether women are to keep silent or speak, wear a head covering or not. Whether women are to wear jewelry or abstain completely from such matters. And in this series of videos, we're going to be looking at some of these topics and we can be having a deeper look in light of the bigger picture of scripture as to clear up many of the misunderstanding that's come to arise due to a lack of knowledge, according to the scriptures. Peter, the apostle warned about Paul's letters, not that there are anything, there's anything wrong with them and not that they have any, any less valid than any of the other scriptures, but that they can be easily misinterpreted 2 Peter 3:16 as also in his Paul's letters speaking in them concerning these matters in which some are hard to understand which those who are untaught and unstable twist to their own destruction as they also do the other scriptures so Peter warns us that if we are unstable and not completely learned in the scriptures then we'll misunderstand Paul's writings. Now, what scriptures was Peter specifically referring to here? And so I'd like to remind you that the only scriptures that existed when Paul wrote this was the Torah and the prophets. And so Peter's basically saying that if you want to understand Paul's letters and not twist them to your own destruction, you must understand the Torah and the prophets because Paul was a scholar of the word. He, he, he studied under Gamaliel, the, the most learned of the learned. And if you want to understand what Paul is saying, you must also be learned in the same scriptures. You see, if a man who is learned in his job and in his career, he's in his career and there comes a new man into the workplace who he is to mentor, he is going to teach him everything he knows, but he's also going to expect that man who comes in to have some kind of qualification, to have some kind of a, a foundational understanding of the job and the role that he is entering in. So it shouldn't surprise us if Paul doesn't do things much differently especially when writing letters to mature church leaders to instruct them in righteousness. He is going and, and as one who has been studying on Gamaliel, the highest of the highest he learned, he's going to speak in a way that's coming from that position of knowing the scriptures, the Torah and the prophets. And so today in this teaching, we're going to be looking at the Torah and the prophets. We're going to see what it taught and then look at Paul's writings with regards to them to discern and understand what Paul is truly saying in his letters with regards to women and ministry. You see, if we take Paul's letters literally, there's a few things that, that, are re that really seem confusing at first glance. Under, he says, for example, that women are not allowed to wear jewelry in 1 Timothy 2 verse 9. He says, likewise, that the women dress themselves becomingly with decency and sensibleness, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly garments. He furthermore says that women are to always wear head coverings while praying or prophesying. Such in 1 Corinthians 11, and every woman praying or prophesying with her head uncovered brings shame to her head. For, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaven. He also says that men are never allowed to have long hair. Does not nature itself teach you that if a man indeed has long hair, it is a disrespect to him? And he even says that women are never allowed 
to speak in fellowship. The women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. So in this teaching, we're going to be looking at these statements amongst many others. But I want you to make an observation, an interesting one. Oftentimes we come and we pick and choose which letters we take literally and which we leave aside. Oftentimes we'll find that, men, that, that congregations have taught that women are never allowed to wear jewelry, yet they allow them to speak in a church. You see, we need to look at the scriptures and study all of it with great detail and attention. So as not to pick and choose what we're going to do and what we're not going to do, but also to ensure that the scriptures we read we and apply, we, def- we certainly understand in its appropriate cultural context and in light of the rest of scripture. You see, we need to understand that Paul was writing these scriptures and these letters to a certain people, to a certain group. And all of it is for us, but it's not necessarily applicable to us. You see, there are certain situations that Paul is writing to and responding to in every letter. And we need to understand those situations if we're going to understand what he's writing about. And if we don't understand those situations, we're going to misunderstand Paul. And even if we don't understand the cultural context of what was going on at the time, we're going to misunderstand Paul. So let's look at the cultural norms that was going on at the time in Roman society. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, in the first verse, right before he starts talking about head coverings, he says this. Become imitators of me as I also am of Messiah. So he's saying, okay, guys, so first of all, before I say a word, you need to understand that I am only an imitator of Messiah Yeshua, Jesus Christ. And whatever I do, you need to do whatever I walk out. You need to walk out because I'm only walking out what Yeshua says. And in John 7, 16, we read a very similar thing from the words of Yeshua himself. He says, Yeshua answered them and said, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. And he actually says this in seven places in other places in scriptures. So Paul is saying, whatever I'm saying is not my teaching. I'm only imitating Messiah. And Yeshua is saying, what I'm teaching is not mine, but it is the one who sent me his teaching. Furthermore, we read that whoever says he abides in me ought to walk in the same way in which I walk, as Yeshua said. And he also goes on to say that, Beloved, I write no fresh command to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old command is the word which you received from the beginning. So Yeshua is saying, I didn't come to bring you a new thing. I just come to teach you what my father's given you from the beginning. Again, focusing the attention on the Torah and the prophets, the scripture that we talked about earlier that was there from the beginning. And Yeshua is saying, that's what I came to teach you, nothing, something new. And of course, we know that Yeshua did indeed teach on it and he expanded on it. He, he provided great revelation on his father's teaching of the Torah and the prophets. But he did not come to abolish it. He did not come to replace it. He didn't come to nullify it. Deuteronomy 4 verse 2 says, Do not add to the word which I command you and do not take away from it, so as to guard the commands of Yahweh your God, which I am commanding you. So Deuteronomy 4 verse 2 states that we, we cannot add or take away from the Torah of Prophets. And if we do so, we're breaking the instruction of Deuteronomy 4 verse 2. Furthermore, 1 John 3 verse 4 states that if we transgress the law or break the law, that is the definition of sin. So we see that if Yeshua did take away or add to the law of God, the Torah and the prophets, he would have breaking, he would have been breaking the law and he would have sin on him. But we know for a certainty that Yeshua, Jesus did not have any sin on him. And so we must conclude that he did not add or take away from the law. And then we must also conclude that Paul did not add or take away 
from the law. Because he only imitated Messiah. And if he added or took away, he would be in transgression of the law himself and also be in sin. So this means that anything that we are going to discuss in this study must come back to the law. And it cannot, it cannot be in, in contradiction to the law. It cannot add to the law. It cannot take away from the law, the Torah and the prophets of God. And if it does, if, if anyone even in our New Testament would do that, that person would be a false prophet. That person would be in sin. But I want to submit to you that none of them were in sin. Paul wasn't in sin. Yeshua wasn't in sin. Because all of them were in complete agreement with the Torah and the prophets. They didn't add and they didn't take away from the law. Besides for this, we also need to understand what was happening in Rome at the time of Paul and his congregations. You see, at the time, women were oppressed. There were actual laws around society and these laws influenced the culture. Very much like today, if we have a certain law, it will influence the way that we live and it will influence our culture. And so there were laws such as women were not allowed to retain property. Women were not allowed to take a dowry out of the marriage if they were to be divorced. So if a woman was divorced, she would be left with nothing. There was nothing she had left. So this was very oppressive to women, of course. And similarly, Women were not allowed to commit adultery. And you say, well, Petey, that's a good thing. Of course it is. And it was so far as if women committed adultery, they would be killed for it. The law was that if a woman committed adultery, they would die. However, if a man committed adultery, they would not die. They would actually not be punished. In fact, they were very, and often times encouraged by the culture to have commit adultery. And so we see that there was inequality in that way where the law is oftentimes favored men over women. If you catch your wife in adultery, you can kill her with impunity. She, however, cannot dare to lay a finger on you if you commit adultery, nor is it the law. Written by Aulus Gallius, a first century author. And so we see that this, there's clear distinction in the law made between man and woman. However, in 44 BC, when Caesar came to rule Rome, much of this would change forever. Laws were instituted. And with this change of law became came a change of the culture where women could now suddenly retain property. Women could now exit their marriages with a dowry. And with this came an empowerment of women and women started becoming independent of men. And with this independence came a certain freedom that we may not consider as good. They started uh, delving into exploring their sexuality more. They started sleeping around and this and the culture radically shifted where even poets started writing more about women as being empowered, as well as switching the roles of men and women, where, where previously men were, were more domineering. Now we had women becoming more domineering. And this inversion had a severe impact on the culture. And so these ruling women with men as subordinate was the birth of a new kind of women in Rome. Was I really fool enough over so many years to put up selfish women with you and yours? Have you ever thought of me as free? Or will you always hurl at me your arrogant words? This is from Propertus, a first century poet who is writing about these new women in the Roman culture. And so apart from the change in the Roman law that greatly impacted the culture, there is also a certain aspect that's very important to understand about the culture for us to better understand Paul's writings. And that was that both men and women alike were identified by their clothing. This idea was that you are what you wear. And so a married woman would wear a certain clothing. A, a woman who was unmarried would, would wear different garments. A woman who was a prostitute would wear different garments. And a woman who was a free woman would wear different garments. And a woman who was a slave would wear different garments. And so it's very similar to today where a prostitute would dress in a certain way today. But back then in Roman society, this was a law. It was a law 
for a woman to dress in a certain way if she was to identify as a prostitute. Prostitution was legal after all. And it was a law for a married woman to dress in a certain way. And if that married woman would dress as a prostitute, there would be great consequences for that. And so what men and women alike wore was one of the main points that Paul was addressing in his writings. In 1 Timothy, he writes about women who ought not to wear jewelry. Likewise, that the women dress themselves becomingly with decency and sensibleness, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly garments, but with good works, which is becoming for women undertaking worship of God. So Paul is saying, guys, don't, don't, don't wear all these things. Don't wear the purple, the gold, the jewelry and, and all these things. But a woman, a proper woman ought to adorn herself with good works. But does this mean that women today ought not to wear any kind of jewelry at all? I'd like to read to you writings from the Pythagorean school of philosophy from the first century Rome. In this letter, Melissa writes to Cleta, Greetings. Of your own volition, it appears to me that you have the characteristics of what is good. For you wish zealously to hear teaching about a wife's adornment. It gives a good indication that you intend to perfect yourself according to virtue. It is necessary then for the free and modest wife to live with her lawful husband adorned with quietness, white and clean in her dress, plain but not costly, simple but not elaborate or excessive, for she must reject garments shot with purple or gold. For these are used by the Hitari, the call girls or the prostitutes, and soliciting men generally, eerily. But if she is to be attractive to one man, her own husband, the ornament of a wife is her manner and not her dress. And so in this letter, we can clearly see this philosophical writing where he is addressing this this woman. And he's saying, if you want to be a good woman, if you want to be a virtuous woman, dress as a, as, as a virtuous woman. And he, he, he makes that connection, that dressing plainly without gold and, and jewelry. And he says that those who do wear purple and gold are the prostitutes and the call girls. And this is so similar. It's exactly the same, in fact, to what Paul is writing. And so we see that the, the prostitutes The way of dress for them was jewelry, was gold and purple and excessive elaborate dress. And Paul is saying, guys, he's telling his congregation, women, listen to me. Do not dress like those cold girls. Don't dress like the prostitutes. But dress yourselves as a virtuous woman with good works, just like this philosopher said. You see, this was a very prevalent problem And in the church, who was being influenced by this outside culture, Paul is saying, don't be influenced. Don't be like the pagans. Don't be like the new women of Rome who are now coming and being empowered and and thinking they can do what they want and and thinking they can dominate men. And now they come and they try and dress as prostitutes because they want to be free from their marriage bed. They want to be like a prostitute. They want to go and be with whoever they like. You will not be like them. This is what Paul is addressing. And so Paul's teaching, however, still has very valuable teaching for us today. And that is that we are not to dress in a way that may confuse the culture around us. In other words, if we dress, we are to dress in a way that, that, that is inapplicable to cultural norms. In other words, if a prostitute dresses a certain way, we will not dress in that manner so as to confuse others, the culture around us. That we are a prostitute. You see, even though we are called to be set apart, it means that we, are not, we, we must remember the cultural norms around us so as to not cause confusion. Furthermore, Paul talks about how we are to adorn ourselves with good works. Women especially, adorn yourselves with good works with, and not with the outer. And I want to submit that he's, he's talking to a root, a heart issue. Where oftentimes when we look at the elaborateness, the, the beautiful clothing, the, the, the excessiveness, and we oftentimes are trying to compensate for something. 
And see, Paul is saying, you don't need to do that. You, there's nothing required of you to dress in a way to make up for you feeling not pretty or for you not feeling this or that way. Because God loves you. You are pretty. And, and actually, you know what you can do to, to walk that beauty out? is to walk in the manner of a godly wife and to walk in the manner of a, of a woman adorned with good works. Now, it's important to then say that God, Paul is not speaking against jewelry per se, but speaking against a custom of the day, a custom that was in Rome where prostitutes dressed a certain way. And he's saying, don't dress like them. Dress yourself in a holy manner. But so then that doesn't mean that women can never wear jewelry in our modern day culture. In today's context, it, you are, we are not labeling women as prostitutes who wear jewelry. But however, we do need to be wary not to be excessive and to look like the world. We do have the example of Rebecca, of, of Eliezer. When Eliezer comes to find Rebecca at the well, to find the wife for Isaac, he adorns her in jewelry, and he adorned her even with a nose ring. This was a man of God who was following the instructions of God, the Torah. And there is nowhere in the Torah where it is specified that women are not ever to adorn themselves in any kind of jewelry. And so therefore we can conclude that Paul is not making a permanent instruction that adds to the Torah. He is simply addressing a cultural convention of the day. Paul continues the narrative of women and dress when he talks in 1 Corinthians 11 about head coverings. He says that a woman ought not to pray or prophesy with her head uncovered, for that is a shame to her, and it's the same as if she were shorn. We'll now look at this, this, this piece of scripture in light of everything that we've already learned about the Roman culture and the new women of Rome. So in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 28, right before the chapter of head coverings, Paul makes an interesting statement to open up his, 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 his letter. He says, and if anyone says to you, this was slaughtered to idols, do not eat it because of the one pointing it out to you. And on account of the conscience, cause no stumbling either to the Jew or the Greek or to the assembly of God. As I also please all men in all matters, not seeking my own advantage, but that of the many that they might be saved. And so the culture that Paul found himself in was so pagan in the day. There were many gods, multitudes of them. In fact, there were so many that in the marketplaces, when the meat was sold, oftentimes meat would have been sacrificed to another god. So Paul is saying that, guys, we know that, you know, there's no other god. There is but one god, and that is Yahweh Elohim, Yahweh God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yes, if you eat meat, sacrifice idols, we know that the meat is, it's meat, it's meat. It doesn't mean anything if it's been sacrificed to an idol because there is no other God. There's no other power. There's no other God. And so he's saying, but he says, make no one stumble. And because we don't want to make anyone stumble, we're not going to partake in that meat. So he, Paul is really concerned with how we we walk in culture, how we walk and how others perceive it. Even if there's not, it's not a sin for us to eat meat sacrificed to idols, it would be a sin if it would make someone else stumble to think that we are actually now serving that idol, even if we're not truly. You see, so Paul is concerned with how we walk out our life in terms of the culture and what the culture believes. And so now in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul addresses the hair covering and he says, and I wish you to know that the head of every man is the Messiah and the head of woman is the man and the head of Messiah is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, brings shame to his head. And every woman praying or prophesying with her head uncovered brings shame to her head. For that is the one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. 
And so as with any scripture, it is important for us to read the context and every verse to understand what he is saying. In the first verse, he talks about authority, a very peculiar matter, but he connects it with head coverings. Because for what other reason would Paul open up with authority? He says, and I wish you to know that the head of every man is Messiah, the head of woman, the man and the head of Messiah is God. And so first we need to understand what authority he's talking about. Where did he get this? Of course, he got it from the Torah and the prophets. And more specifically, in the very beginning in Genesis. Genesis 1 verse 27, And God created the man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Chapter 3. And he said, Who made you know that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the snake, Satan deceived me and I ate. Verse 16, to the woman, he said, I greatly increase your sorrow in your conception. Bring forth children in pain and your desires for your husband and he does rule over you. And so we see that God, in Genesis, God created both man and woman, male and female, in his image. But then the female, Eve, was deceived. And in that, he says, because of this deception, man will rule over you. Man will cover you. Now, it's important to note that, that both male and female, man and woman, was created in God's image. Both Equally important, equally beautiful, and equally yoked. You see, there is no difference in importance between a man and a woman at all. In fact, we, we later read this in the Torah, and it's further exemplified what the role of a woman is. In Numbers 30, we read about how the authority between a man and a woman and the covering of a woman. We read about how a husband covers his wife and or a father covers his daughter. Women are allowed to make statements and make vows, but only within the covering of the father or the husband. When a man makes a vow to Yahweh or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he does not break his word. He does according to all that comes out of his mouth. Or if a woman vows a vow to Yahweh and binds herself by some agreement while in her father's house in her youth, and her father hears her vow and the agreement by which she has bound herself, and her father has kept silent towards her, then all her vows shall stand, and every agreement with which she has bound herself stands. But if her father forbids her on the day that he hears, then none of her vows nor her agreements by which she bound herself stands. And Yahweh pardons her because her father has forbidden her. But if she at all belongs to a husband, well bound by her vows or by a rash utterance from her lips by which she bound herself, and her husband hears it, and he has kept silent towards her on the day that he hears, that then her vows shall stand, and her agreements by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband forbids her on the day that he hears it, then he has nullified her vow which she vowed, and the rash utterance of her lips by which she bound herself, and Yahweh pardons her. And so we see that Father implemented in this instruction and this covering for protection. It's simple protection for a man to cover his wife. So a, a woman can make a statement. A woman can do as she wishes. She can share. She, she can do what she wants. However, her husband must approve. Her husband must allow it. Her husband can keep silent. And in that action, he allows it. Or a father. And in the same way, this is, an, this is simply a picture of the church and the bridegroom. We all know that the husband and the wife is a picture of the church and the bridegroom. And in the same way where we have the, the, we have the, the women, we have the husband, we have Christ, and then we have God. In the same way, this is only a picture of the, the woman who is the body of Christ, the church, the assembly, and then Christ, who is her husband, who covers her. And so in the same way, this is simply a picture of how Christ covers us, how Christ, how Christ protects us, how Christ, in fact, even shed his blood for us in sacrifice. And so in the same way, God calls the husband to do the same. He calls the husband 
to make the sacrifice, to protect, to cover and to stand in for his wife and to even nullify if she said something in error or made a mistake where he can protect her. You see, this is not oppression. This is not this is this does not mean the husband is more important or smarter or more intelligent, not at all than the wife. This is simply a mechanism that God uses as a picture of him, the, the, the Yeshua and his church, his bride and how he protects us and to define the role of the woman and the man. In fact, in light to Messiah's words to Peter, he said, Peter, listen, if you want to be greatest, you need to make yourself the least. And those who are who make themselves the greatest will be called least in my kingdom. And see, in the same way today, if we go and we make ourselves like if men go and they make themselves more important over or, or rule over a woman in a, in a manner that is oppressive or sees themselves as being greater, they will be called least in the kingdom. But the woman who makes herself the least will be called greatest. And similarly, the man who is called to lead the household, who makes himself the least in serving, who makes himself the least in putting his life on the line and making sacrifice for his wife and his family, that man will be called greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Oftentimes today, many of Paul's scriptures have been used to oppress women, have been used to say to women that they are not as valuable, that they have nothing of value to say, and that they should rather just keep quiet. In light of Torah and, and, the, and the Torah and the prophets, the Father's instructions, this can be no further from the truth. And in light of Messiah's treatment of women, this can be no further from the truth. I would like to furthermore clarify that the, 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 this, these instructions of how the husband covers the wife does not pertain to every man and every woman. This is very important to understand that, that it's not that every man will, will cover or, or that every, uh, every woman or that every woman must submit under every man. No, it pertains only to the man who the woman has submitted herself to by voluntarily, if it's her husband or by being birthed into a family, if it's her father. So in other words, a woman would choose her covering. She would choose when she marries a man, she chooses. She says, I choose you. I choose you to cover me. I enter a covenant with you in that choice, my groom, and I want you to be my protection, my leader. And we see this in both two examples in scripture with both Ruth and Rebecca, amongst others. In Ruth three, verse nine, we said, and he said, who are you? And she said, I am Ruth, your female servant. Now you shall spread your covering over your female servant for you are a redeemer. Rebecca in Genesis 24, verse 65. And she had said to the servant, who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, it is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. And in that action, both Ruth and Rebecca, they, they said, I am, I'm, I'm veiling myself. Ruth saying, I'm, I'm veiling myself because I see Isaac in the distance. And by that action, she's signaling to Isaac, Isaac, I choose you to be my covering. I choose you to be my husband. And the same way with Ruth. Where she says, you, you should be my covering, Boaz. Cover me. And so see, it's the same with what we do when we come to Messiah. We say, Yeshua, we come to you. I do. Lord, I want to follow you. Yeshua, cover me. Cover me, protect me. And that's the picture. That's the role of the man and woman. Ephesians 5 verse 22, wives subject yourselves to your own husbands as to the master. Because the husband is head of the wives, as also the Messiah is head of the assembly, and he is savior of the body. But as the assembly is subject to Messiah, so also let the wives be subject to their own husbands in every respect. Husbands, love your wives as Messiah also did love the assembly and gave himself for it. In order to set it apart and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. In order to present it to himself a splendid assembly. Not having spot or blemish or wrinkle of any sort. 
but that it might be set apart and blameless. Therefore, we can conclude that the roles of women and men pertain to the following. That women are to be helpmates to their husbands. That they are to walk out and share in the revelation that the father reveals to the husband. And that they are, and to do this, in order to do this, they must submit to the covering of their husband. However, wives can most certainly receive revelation from God herself, apart from her husband. And she may share as she seems fit under the covering of her husband. Just like with the vow, of, as when a vow is made, a husband will cover her, a husband may allow it, but a husband may also intervene and a husband may also say when it is not appropriate, and this is to protect her, to be with her, just like Christ covers and protects us when we stumble, when we fall, when we make mistakes. Furthermore, we understand that men are not to oppress women in a domineering way or abuse women in any such manner but rather to make themselves the least of the least, even in their leadership role of the household, and to give themselves for their wives, to, to sacrifice themselves, to make an offering on their part for their wives, and to love their wives as Christ loves the church. And so now after we understand this, we can apply this to Paul's teaching on head coverings. Where we need to understand that in the ancient culture, head coverings, just like with Rebecca and just like with Ruth, when they both wanted to cover themselves, that was a symbol of that they are have a husband covering them. And so in the same way, that was the tradition in the churches that Paul was writing to. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 4, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, brings shame to his head. And so applying this to Paul's instructions on men, he says men are not allowed to cover their heads while praying or prophesying. However, he goes on to say that women must cover their heads when they pray or prophesy, or they should be shorn or shave their head because it would be the same thing. And so it's a picture of because we have the, the order of the wife, the husband and God, and which is a picture of the bride in, in terms of the church, Christ and God. He's saying that men who are to who represent Christ are not to put a covering over them because they have God right above them. Uh, there is no other covering over a man such as with a woman. Because the woman represents the church or the assembly, the body of Christ, she will have a symbol of authority on her head to represent her husband. And so this, so for a man to put a covering over his head while praying or prophesying would be to say that he needs someone else. And he is actually undermining his own role as a husband, which is supposed to be the picture of Christ. Furthermore, the Roman culture around them, the pagan culture, the, the pagan temples where the priests would serve, would cover their heads. The men, the men priests, the male priests would cover their heads. And in this way, God is also saying, you will not be like those priests who put a covering over the head because you as the man, you ought not to have a covering because I am, God is the one who is above you. You don't, you're not like a woman who has a covering over her like the husband. The husband submits to Christ directly. And so taking a, putting a covering on his head would be like dishonoring it's his head, dishonoring God. And dishonoring God just like by acting out what the pagans do as when they put on head coverings on them. So he's saying don't worship, God is, Paul is also saying don't worship God in the way that the pagans do. By covering their head near prophesy. This makes total sense because we know that Paul was often concerned with how outsiders perceive the assembly. And if an outsider came in to see believers worship in the manner of the pagans, would they not be confused? And so we know in the Torah itself, there is no instruction yet again that pertains to how men are never allowed to cover their head. This was again an, a letter of Paul for, for specifically to those men so they won't pertain and walk like the pagan priests in those temples. In the next verses, Paul then continues to say the women are to cover their head. And they're to cover their head as a symbol of authority, as a symbol on their head, where to, which is the picture of their husband. 
It is interesting to note that the women, that the head covering of women in, in, those, in those days represented marriage. A married woman would dress in a certain way and that way was that she would cover her head. It would be like having a wedding ring on her finger today. So Paul is saying to the women, do not pray and prophesy. In other words, do not go up in front where everyone can see you in the church. Because this is in context of a church, right? Don't go up in front where everyone can see you. And so in that way, go and take off your head covering when you pray and prophesy to God. Don't be like the new women of Rome who come and they want to be, they want to be contentious. They want to be, they want to dominate. They want to take over. They want to take over. They want to be adulterous. They want to be different. They don't follow the way that they do. Don't take off your covering because your covering represents that you have a head over you. You have a husband over you and you have in here is your covering. And so that's why the scriptures say that she will dishonor her head if she takes off her covering. That because she'll be dishonoring her husband if she takes off a wedding ring in church. Not only that, Paul says that if she takes off her covering, it will be the same as if she is shorn or shaved. This pertains to this is in reference to the Roman law. Where if women committed adultery or if women who are married walked as a prostitute, she would be shaved in public as punishment. Dio Christum, the first century Greek historian, says, wrote, A woman guilty of adultery shall have her hair cut off according to the law and play the prostitute. And so Paul is saying, you won't do this. You won't go and walk in this manner. Don't go and take off your veil to let others from outside think that you are playing the prostitute. If you remember in 1 Corinthians 10, before, right before Paul dug into head coverings, he spoke about how we are to conduct ourselves in a way that is orderly or a way that will, that will not sear the consciousness of those who are outside. In other words, those who see us, if we are partake in meat, sacrifice to idols, we will not do that for the sake of the outsider, to not cause confusion in them. In the same way, Paul is saying, so you're not to cause confusion in those from outside or those who come into the church in a similar manner. Because if people come in from Roman culture from outside and they see all these women in church and they're taking off their head coverings, these married women while they're worshiping God, will they not say that they're out of their mind? Will they not say that they're playing the prostitute and that this is a church of prostitution? Paul is saying you will not do this, but you will submit to your husbands. You will cover. You will keep the covering of your husbands over you. You will not rebel like those poets wrote in, in the Roman culture against your husbands. But you will follow the instructions of Father, the Torah, where you are to adorn yourself for your husband by covering yourself with him and walking in good works. Paul then continues to write. In 1 Corinthians 11 verse 7, For a man indeed should not cover his head, since he is the likeness and esteem of God. But woman is the esteem of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. For man also was not created for the woman, but woman for the man. Because of this, the woman ought to have authority on her head because of the angels or the messengers. However, Man is not independent of women, nor women independent of man in the master. For as the woman was from the man, even so the man is through the woman. But all are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for women to pray to God with her head uncovered? So Paul first says that a man is not from women, but women from the man. Because he's referring to Genesis of how Eve was created from Adam. And he's, but he then goes on and he brings balance. He says, however... However, woman is not independent of man and man is not independent from woman. In fact, men comes through woman. So Paul is bringing balance. He's first addressing this imbalance of, 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 of this domineering woman, the spirit in the church where women are dominating. And he's saying, guys, you need to humble up. You guys, you, you women, you, are, you, you should remember that you came from man. But then he turns around and he brings balance. And he says, but remember also that the, the man came through the woman later. And so he say, he's bringing balance to this whole situation. He's not saying the woman is better than the other. He's saying we're all one in God. 
And there, that means that, 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 yes, he's addressing this bigger issue of the women who's dominating. But I want to submit to you, brothers and sisters, that it might as well have been the men who was dominating. You see, he is addressing a particular spirit. He's, he's addressing a spirit where people are coming in with their philosophy and their, 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 their pride. Especially the women in this case. And then trying to take over fellowships. They're trying to dominate their men. They're trying to, 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 to just be contentious in their act. And then Paul says something very interesting. He says that last those three words, judge for yourselves. You see, he says, judge for yourselves is a proper for women to pray to God with her head uncovered. So he's saying that, guys, you know this. So in other words, he's referring to a cultural understanding that these people in the church has. And he's saying, you guys know that if a woman prays to God, it would, with her uncovered, it would be a shame. So he's saying that. So it already indicates to us that us today in our modern context where head coverings is not being worn, we won't understand. We can't judge for ourselves because he's talking about something very specific and going on in that culture. And he's talking not only to those who are in the church, but those who are coming in from outside. Just like in 1 Corinthians 10, when he talked about how we are not to eat meat, sacrifice to idols for the sake of the consciousness of the one who comes in. The one, the conscious of the one who sees us maybe eating idols and thinking that, oh, we're actually now partaking in that. We're partaking in the idol, even if we're not. In the same way, he's saying, don't be like that. You will walk in a way that the people will understand who are coming and even the outsider. And see, he says, because of the angels. That's a very peculiar thing. Why would he be concerned about the angels? Why would Paul say that the angels have something to do with this matter? You see, the word for angels in the Greek is agelos. And it can actually mean angel or it can mean simply a messenger. Both someone who comes to bring a message or someone who comes in, looks around and takes a message somewhere else, takes an information and takes that information somewhere else. You see, it's, it's, it's quite obvious. He's referring to people coming in from outside. He's saying for the sake of the messenger, for the sake of the one coming in, don't let them see you doing these things. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 23 if then all the assembly comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and they come in those who are unlearned or unbelievers, so they not say that you are mad. So in the same way, Paul is he's applying that same principle to this. Will they not think you're mad if you do it in this way? So don't do things that's going to confuse the culture. Don't do things that's going to get you in trouble. Because brothers and sisters also remember that the Roman law at the time was that if a woman did that, it was against the law because she would be an adulterer. She would, she would wear a prostitute. She would do it as a prostitute, even though she's a married woman. And that could actually get her in big trouble with the law of the land. And so Paul is warning both against don't be, ha, have a bad testimony to those, who, those new believers or those new guys who are coming into the church. But not only that, don't, don't get in trouble by letting people come in and, and report you to the authorities outside. Many of their meetings were in house churches or in places in public spaces where people can come in from outside, which have, would have made this very easy for these outsiders to see. Epictetus, a Greek philosopher in the early 2nd century after death, he provides evidence of this and he says, What messenger is so swift and so attentive as the eye? He noted of one who could be sent as a scout to report back. He wrote about these who came in to see and look to report as a scout back to another audience. Paul then concludes with a very peculiar and often misunderstood statement. He says, if, however, anyone seems to be contentious, we do not have such a habit, nor do the assemblies of God. You see, Paul is simply here saying, guys, if anyone here is to be fond of strife or contentious, if any one of you here wants to do this and wants to rebel against these things, we have no such custom here. We, will, we are not a contentious people. All you new women, all you women who try to be like the pagan new women in Rome, who want to be domineering, who want to come in with your philosophical ideas and dominate. We have no such custom. 
We will not do it that the way that the pagans do. We will not do it like the way that the Romans do. We will not do it like this movement of women do. We will worship God in a way that will give honor to his name. And we will walk in holiness. And so we can conclude that the, the teaching that we can take away today in this is the following. That women are to submit to their husband as the husband is to submit to Christ. Also, that head coverings is a custom and not a commandment. In other words, that Paul would not add to the Torah. Paul could not add a instruction, a commandment like that all women should wear an actual head covering because no such commandment exists in the law. And if he did add such a commandment, he would be in transgression of the law because he is not allowed to add according to Deuteronomy 4 verse 2. However, women who are convicted to wear a head covering may do so by all means. We see scriptural examples of the custom in Ruth and Rebecca, amongst others. And we, especially husbands, should not forbid a woman who chooses this dress. That we are not to worship God in the way of the pagans, such as the men who, such as the pagan men in the temples, the priests who would cover their heads when they worship their pagan gods which is the concept of submitting to another person, institution, or idol, instead of directly submitting to God. Furthermore, that women are not to take off their veil in order to be contentious. In other words, to, to, to be, bring dishonor to her husband, undermining the structure that God has given, for as well as the picture of Christ and the church, where the bride is covered by Christ in the same way that the, the wife should submit to her husband in the same manner uh, to give and communicate that picture to the world of how, she, uh, of how her husband covers her and how Christ covers the church. We are to be mindful of the cultural standards and the cultural norms so as to not make anyone stumble. Just like Paul said in Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians 10, we are to be mindful of what people will perceive us as when we walk in a certain way. Whether that is a cultural custom or not, if that's going to make someone stumble, we ought not to walk in that way. We are not to override the commandments of God by our tradition. However, we are to walk in a, in a cultural norm if it's necessary so as to not make anyone else stumble. So as, for example, to take off a wedding ring or to dress in a certain way that will be identified as dressing as a prostitute. God calls us as a new generation to separate ourselves from many years of illusion, many years of confusion, many years of false teaching around the instructions. For us to believe that women must wear a head covering or that women may never um, wear jewelry, we must conclude that we should add to the Torah. God calls us to be perfectly obedient in every way and walk as Yeshua walked. I hope this blessed and encouraged you. This is only one of the, a part of this series. In the next episode, we will look at whether women can speak in church. We will also look at women in authority and whether there are any scriptural examples for us to follow or look at with women in authority. If this teaching blessed you, consider partnering with us to continue making these videos to edify the body of Christ. subscribe to this YouTube channel to stay up to date and to not miss the next episode. I'll see you guys in the next video.